What's up, golf fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Wee Sports Chronicles podcast. We've made it. It's the start of the 2020 Masters. 19 months since we've had live golf at Augusta National. It finally ends. The 2020 Masters is beginning. And as we publish this episode, the, the golfers are already out on the golf course playing Augusta National, trying to win a green jacket. In regards to the weather forecast on Thursday, it's going to be a lot of rain in the forecast, making for some soft course conditions. But some good news, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're going to be having sunny and clear skies. So at the start of the week, it looked like rain throughout the whole Masters Tournament. But now we're going to see a semblance of normality at Augusta National, sunny and blue skies. For episode 79, I'm pleased to be joined by Adam Stanley. Adam is a freelance golf journalist based in Canada, contributing to Sportsnet.ca this week for the 2020 Masters coverage. In this episode, I chat with Adam about the Canadians in the field. This is the third time in Masters history that we have four Canadians in the field. Adam knows all four of them, and he's going to provide the listeners with some insights and tidbits about how they're feeling going into this final major of 2020. We also dig deep into Adam's approach into covering a major championship, of course. As I said earlier, Adam's covering the Masters this year for Sportsnet. He's doing a daily radio hit in the morning on Sportsnet 590 The Fans. So make sure to tune into that. And I think Adam provides a lot of unique advice and tips for anyone looking to cover major championships on a freelance basis. We get into some of the storylines of the Masters, and Adam likes Rory McIlroy, who who would be the sixth golfer in PGA Tour history to win the career Grand Slam. And then at the end of the episode, we, we end with Adam's champion's dinner menu, his favorite food when he goes to Augusta National, and then some memories playing the actual golf course on the Monday after the Masters getting in the media draw so it's a wide-ranging conversation with adam stanley and you're definitely going to enjoy it on this thursday the first round of the 2020 masters the we sports chronicles podcast is available on youtube apple Podcasts, and spotify so make sure to like rate watch and subscribe to all three of those channels now without further ado let's get to episode 79 with adam stanley on the we sports chronicles podcast all right, as I said off the top, I am pleased to be joined by Adam Stanley. He is a Canadian golf journalist who's going to be freelancing a lot of Masters coverage for Sportsnet, so make sure to check him out there. And we're excited to have Adam on to chat about the 2020 Masters on the Masters-themed edition of the Wii Sports Chronicles. Adam, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Man, thank you very much for having me here. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. It should be fun. Absolutely, and look, the 2020 Masters, who knew it would be in November this year, but as I've said to all my guests that have come on this week, it is 2020, an unprecedented year. What are your, what are you looking forward to about, about this week? I know that you're not going to be there in person, it'll be such a weird challenge covering it virtually, but it is a major after all, and, and, and it is the Masters, and even if it's in November, it's still going to be a great tournament. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about the Masters as compared to any other golf tournament is certainly even any other major is that, you know, you don't get this 
grandiose excitement level for all aspects of it. Um, you know, the P PGA, the, um, you know, the U.S. Open, the British has its kind of unique thing because for us here in North America, it takes place in a different time zone. You know, the, the U.S. Open returns to iconic places like Pebble Beach. The PGA Championship ha has awarded us with some fabulous storylines over the last little while. But to your point, there is something about the Masters that makes it so special. Uh, all the way from sort of the sandwiches that they serve to, uh, you know, the champion celebration and the way that they go about doing that. And just because it's in November doesn't mean that any of that will be taken away. They've kind of made their adjustments just like everyone else has in this uh, in this time that we're living in, uh, allowing patrons to buy stuff online and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the Masters is just, no matter what time of the year, so much of a event. It's a golf spectacle. It, it's like the Super Bowl. It's like Wimbledon. You can take any of those descriptors that you'd like and, and apply it to the Masters tournament and you get this fabulous event that's happening when arguably no other real sports is, is going on and it's not unlike April when um, you know you're kind of into that uh, laissez-faire time with uh, the NBA and the NHL as the playoff races have for the most part been decided baseball barely started the NFL of course isn't going on in April uh, and now here we are in November no other sports going on the NFL will take place college football I guess but it's the Masters, and everyone is so excited <laughs> to just see how it will all unfold. I know you're not going to be there, but when you look at the weather, it's supposed to be really nice for, for Atlanta in, in November. I'm just curious, Adam, what, what your thoughts on how the course is going to play, especially if it's fast and firm, which is it's, it's expected to be. Yeah, so I mean, I've, I have, I've been there twice before, of course, both times being in April. Uh the weather forecast, at least as it, as it looks, you know, is not going to be all that dissimilar. What will be the thing that I'm intrigued to see how the players will adjust to is, is twofold. Number one, they're playing this first and 10th tee start this mm -hmm. morning afternoon wave, which they don't usually do. And it is supposed to be, you know, it's cool in the mornings and that's fine. That's what it's like in April as well. But it's going to be cooler longer which of course it's november um you know it, you, you start off early on in the morning you have a light sweater on you'll probably keep that sweater on for a little bit longer so i am intrigued to see what the big difference is going to be between the morning and the afternoon waves because of how long it, how long it's staying cool which we just don't have in april because they just play everyone off the first tee and off you go um so that's going to be intriguing and and the biggest thing for me from a, a sort of weather and conditioning perspective is how fast is the Green Jackets going to get this golf course up to ripping tournament speed? Because you've seen the social media posts, I'm sure so many people have. Um, you know, the grass was browned a month and a half ago. Then they've overseeded it. Now it looks this brilliant green again. But Augusta National, you know, it, it, it ends its season in April usually. You know, they put the golf course to bed. It's the summertime. It's too hot. Off we go. November, October is the, begin is the beginning of Augusta National season. So this grass is chewy, this grass is fresh. Um, Mike Weir told me that the members had their member tournament a couple weeks ago. It was you know, already running pretty quick. Again, this is Augusta National we're talking about. They can turn on that sub air system and get it ripping like I mentioned. But again, this is, it's November. It's a different time. It's a different time of the year. Um, you know, the, the, the weather temperatures are gonna be a little bit more on the fluctuating side of things. And from what, what I have read, the wind, the prevailing wind in November uh, is 
flows a little bit of a different direction than it mm -hmm. does in April as well. So combine all those things, and the guys, I think, are going to have to get adjusted to, uh, to a lot of newness this year. No, absolutely, and also throw in no patrons in attendance, which you add a whole new element because as, as we've seen with the Masters, Adam, look, the patrons make it what it is. Those Masters roars going through the golf course, they'll have to certainly adjust to that. But hey, I mean, they've been able to do that for the previous two other major championships this year. But I'm interested, Adam, if, if any of the, the holes, I mean, I know Amen Corner usually is very you know important in determining a winner the par fives as well. Do, do you see that happening as well? Or do you think maybe some other holes on the course will certainly be important in, in deciding who, who wins this tournament? Yeah. I mean, you think about, uh, you know, the back nine on Sunday and all the lore that goes into that uh, for better or for worse, you know, for worse, you think about Jordan Spieth a couple <laughs> of years ago uh, and for better, you don't have to think all that long uh, to Tiger Woods last year and, you know, everything that he was able to accomplish and just start to, take away from uh, from the rest of the field in the back nine so that being said i think you you need to get yourself off to a good start uh i mean number one is pretty straightforward number two is one of the easier holes on the golf course number three short par four uh number four is a, is a difficult par three number five is a difficult par four uh number six is a difficult par three and then seven's a pretty straightaway par four as well so i think some of those holes um, you know, early on in the round are, are going to be make or break holes uh, for the guys. Amen corner is amen corner for a reason. It comes at such a unique time in the round. And I say that, but it's going to be incredibly fascinating to see those guys uh, who tee off on 10. It's going to be cold Thursday morning, and they got to play 10, which is pretty tricky, and then 11, which is arguably the hardest hole in the golf course, and then number 12 with the swirling winds. How about that? As a, as a start to your Masters tournament, teeing off on 10, uh, you know, in, in the cold breeze and having to play 10, 11, 12, and then a little bit of a, a reprieve with 13. And so uh, to your question specifically about what holes uh, are going to be impactful and impacted, all of them, I guess, would <laughs> yeah. be my best answer. Um, because they're going to have to play, you know, the front nine well to set themselves up for the back nine and score. But some of those guys are going to start on the back nine uh, or the second nine, excuse me, and then make the turn and play the first nine so a lot of a, a lot of differences this year um and, and the way that the golf course is set up uh front nine back nine is, is just another one of those i'm always interested with the media coverage surrounding a major championship because the beautiful thing about golf is it's a whole week of coverage i know that the tournament always is thursday through sunday but then there's those three pre-tournament days that provide a lot of content Without revealing all the state secrets, Adam, I'm just curious how you're going to be approaching this Masters tournament in terms of coverage that we'll see from you. Yeah, I mean, I, I've already spoken to Mike Weir and, and Nick Taylor and Corey Connors uh, to get kind of their thoughts on on everything. You know, of course, there'll be pre-tournament press conferences and stuff like that. But, you know, you try to reach out to, to the guys a little bit bit early on uh get their get their vibes get their feelings all of them have such unique stories Corey connors and adam uh are are playing their third masters each this year the interesting thing you know from a canadian perspective and certainly from a Corey connor standpoint is his first masters he was an amateur he had finished mm -hmm. runner-up at the usam and he got to play last year last time around that he played he was the last guy in the field having <laughs> won in texas then this time his masters is happening in November. So it's like, dude, what, what has gone on? And, and how are you able to, to manage all this? Wouldn't you like to have a normal week? And he says, yeah, I would like to have a normal week, but 
you know, he goes back to saying at least we get to play the Masters, period, this year. So he's excited about that. Nick Taylor, uh, you know, as well is an interesting story because it's his first Masters, obviously disappointed that he couldn't have, uh, you know, a large family uh, gathering out there who they all would have been very excited for that. Uh, he said he's got some got some orders in for, uh, for on-site merchandise, which he'll hopefully be able to follow through on. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Mike Weir uh, coming in feeling better than he ever has, he tells mm-hmm. me, at least in the last decade coming into Augusta National, having played so well in the Champions Tour. So, you know, secrets-wise, there's not all that much. You know, you make the phone calls to the guys a little bit in advance, kind of get their, get their feelings, get the vibe, understand how they're, how they're going, how their bodies are, are feeling, how everything is kind of going right into the week. Then they arrive on site. For Nick, it's going to be his first time ever out there, you know, come Sunday when he gets uh, on property for the first time. And he gets to take it all in. I think for Nick, it's going to be interesting, at, at least from what he told me. Um, you know, as it relates to no patrons, Lucas, you brought this up before about, you know, the, the roars and the patrons being such a, an iconic part of Augusta National. And there's no, there's none, there's nobody. Mm-hmm. And, and Nick Taylor's going to play that first time, uh, you know, with no patrons. And I think for him and all the other first timers, at least from what he told me, you know, that's going to ease him into things a little mm-hmm. bit more. The Masters is one could say the pinnacle of our sport. And he just gets to go out like it's a normal round. And I think that's actually going to be uh, playing into his favor. So a couple of nice phone calls with the fellas. You know, you, otherwise you're doing some research. You're looking back on, on on older tournaments to kind of see if there's any stories in the numbers. And then you see what the guys say upon arrival Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's a really interesting point about Nick Taylor because it's always it's going to be such a fascinating question or what if about golf in 2020. And that is... If fans were in attendance, I mean, how it would affect some of these guys. I mean, we've seen Colin Morikawa, first-time major winner at the PGA. Bryson DeChambeau, first-time winner at the U.S. Open. And you can't help but wonder, because, I mean, they did play very well down the stretch, of course. But you can't help but wonder if there were 20,000, 30,000 fans in attendance, how that would have affected them. And how no patrons affects the experienced guys, the Tiger Woods, the Rory McIlroys of the world. So I think it's just going to be... Very fascinating this week where the Masters, again, the patrons make up so much of it and how the fact there is no one there, there are no roars when they come up the 18th hole, how that's just going to impact who wins this tournament. Yeah, I mean, some of these other facilities where they played the majors like Wingfoot, for example, I mean, yeah, you can get tens of thousands of people in into that space. But the Masters, the patrons become part of the mm-hmm. event. You know, the the rolling roars from Amen Corner back up to uh, another part of the golf course. A, a tiger roar versus <laughs> everything else. You know, with that not being a factor, you know, somebody like Tiger who's played 20-plus Masters, I think, um, you know, he's going to be used to playing it in a certain way. Nick Taylor has never stepped foot on the property, so he has no, um, you know, no, no litmus test as it relates to how is this golf tournament going to actually shake out. So uh, you're absolutely right. Would Bryson have won uh, at Wingfoot had there been fans around? You know what? Maybe. He was blowing it around that place uh, unlike anybody else, and, and some of the places he ended up being into would have been trampled down probably by patrons. So so who knows on that front? Colin Morikawa, would he have felt a lot more pressure coming down 17, 18, uh, you know, late on Sunday with kind of this chilling buzz, this this vibe, this, oh my gosh, the, this group that's kind of expanding and contracting with every, uh, with every action, potentially. I mean, obviously, 
Uh, we're not going to take away the trophies from either of those mm-hmm. guys. They won them fair and square. They beat the fields. But it's a question. It's a 2020 question only. Hopefully, we will see what happens moving forward. But uh, I think at any other tournament, um, the patrons and the fans don't really impact things as much as they do at Augusta National. You put out a tweet which I found amazing with Mike Weir, how he's on this distinguished email list of former champions. Can you just maybe elaborate on that? Because I know I'm not necessarily a fan of email chains. I can find them a bit annoying, but man, being on that list though, I mean, I think anyone would would envy envy that. Yeah, it was, it was so interesting how he just casually dropped it and I had to think to myself, like, do you realize what like email group you are specifically talking about right now and how like, you know, there's millions of golfers around the world world that and you are one of i don't really know how many are alive right now i Mm -hmm. guess it's 20 or 30 but you know you think about the masters champion and how you know they uh uh, they have uh, an email list to talk about what's going to happen at the champions dinner i I was just mind-boggling so you know talk to mike i talked to mike not long after tiger had come out and said yeah the champions dinner is is happening so i was like listen tiger came out said this is this accurate uh what have you heard and he says yep it's accurate we as in the Champions Collective, we got an email that said the, the Champions Dinner was was going on, and and you know Mike kind of expanded ever so slightly, and basically said usually there's a uh, a bit of a cocktail hour that happens. They're not doing that this year. Uh, they're just going to have the dinner. Tiger said the menu is going to be the same as what he was planning on it being uh, in April, and I guess we'll see what stories come out of that, uh, if any. But quite the email group to be on, an exclusive, a distinguished list, and. Uh, Man, what people would give to be on that email list for sure. No kidding. But speaking of Mike Weir, I mean, it's crazy to think, Adam, that it's been 17 years since he won the Masters. And I remember watching it as a a little kid and just being just so enamored by the moment and how that moment really transcended golf in this country. I'm just curious how the younger Canadian golfers, maybe an Adam Hadwin, Corey Connors, Nick Taylor, how they are inspired by that Mike Weir victory and how Mike Weir's played a more of a, a mentor role in terms of shaping the younger generation of golfers. Yeah. I mean, every one of those guys, uh, you know, I, I didn't talk to Adam this time around, but uh, talking to Nick, talking to Corey, um, you know, they all say if, if Mike Weir's not one, then he's one a in terms of rationale and inspiration for why they decided to become professional golfers. Tiger Woods, of course, mm-hmm. being in that gold medal position, Position. So they all know exactly where they were when Mike won. They all know exactly what it was like to meet Mike for the first time. You know, you can kind of go down the down the line as it relates to inspiring figures in this country. And we're going to see it in probably 10 years with the Brooke Henderson effect mm-hmm. as well on the women's side of things with respect to, you know, what she's doing already, the winningest Canadian of all time, male or female, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But as it relates to Mike Weir specifically, you know, he had he had some personal issues. He had some injury issues. He went through a bunch of different stuff over the last decade or so, but he's got something in his closet that nobody else in this country has, and that's a green jacket, and that holds a lot of weight. And when you know Mike Weir himself has you know taken that mentorship role on, he wasn't wasn't always wanting to be the one that led the discussion and said like, "Hey guys, let's have this practice round." But he told me that you know of late. He's seen, you know, kind of Ernie L's play a bit more of a leadership role with the younger set 
South Africans. Gary Player did it before him. And he, his mindset pivoted a little bit as it related to, well, I'm going to wait for the guys to come to me. He's now out there saying, no, 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 you know what? I'm going to go to the guys and say, let's do this. I want to share, you know, my thoughts. I want to share, you know, anything that you guys want to know about, I'll, I'll talk to you about it and, and we'll do it happily. So Mike, to his credit, never gave up, never quit, never decided, listen, I'm not doing this anymore. Never went on the, you know, promotional circuit, never did anything. He just kind of kept his head down uh, and, and managed to push through the personal stuff, push through the injuries. And now he's having a mass, an absolutely spectacular year uh, on the PGA Tour champions, um, you know, certainly as compared to the last number of years uh, with respect to his his play. Uh, and he told me he's feeling the best he, he's felt in the last decade plus going into Augusta National. And not only does he personally feel good, but he's got the most Canadians ever, um, you know, playing the Masters this year right alongside him with four, uh, which is pretty damn cool. From your reporting, Adam, how are the golf games of the various Canadians coming into the Masters? Because I know that, you know, many of the golfers peak for that April time zone or that May or June when a normal major championship happens in November is where a lot of the golfers take some time off to prepare for next year. But this is a major championship now in November, so... I'm just curious what they're, what they're thinking of the, the state of their games are heading into the Masters. Yeah, so Mike, uh, Mike's been playing a lot, mm-hmm. obviously. He's been playing a ton on the PGA Tour champion schedule. He's play, He played the week before uh, the Masters uh, at their season finale, so he'll be you know kind of ready and in-game shape, if you will. Corey uh, played the week before. He's going to play the Masters, obviously, and he told me he's going to play the RSM Classic afterwards, too, and, and maybe... Uh, in Mexico. So that's a good chunk of tournaments that he's still going to be playing. Uh, Nick Taylor decided to take uh, a little bit more of a relaxed approach and hasn't played all that much leading into the Masters because he's going to play um, the RSM afterwards as well. Um, and, and he knows that that week's going to be a lot more learning for him, whereas Corey or Adam could maybe take a half day to a full day off of playing. Nick's going to try to play as much as he can leading into Thursday's first round. So, you know, Nick's had a pretty good uh, return to golf. He, you know, of course, won in February. Mm-hmm. It seems like forever ago, <laughs> but he, he won on the yeah. PGA Tour. Um, you know, Corey's been playing okay. I think his, his putting has been the thing that's held him back a little bit. He told me that as such, but he, he you know, you look at the numbers, Corey's one of the best ball strikers on the planet. I think Adam's a, a bit of a question mark. Adam hasn't had you know, the best of returns and, and he's kind of struggled with, with a few of the aspects of his game just a little bit though, but he's been a little off on the driver, a little off the ball striking, a little off on the putting. And that kind of combines to being, you know, a, a lot off, but I think, you know, uh, he's made the cut both times. He's played Augusta national fits his game. He says, um, so they're all in there. I think they're all out of, out of the Canadian bunch on the PGA tour. I mean, these are the best for a reason. Kenzie Hughes has been having a, a an absolutely magical mm-hmm. sort of second half of the year, uh, and he'll be in the Masters field next April. Uh, but as far as these guys are going, you know, Adam may be the question mark, but, uh, you know, he's returning to a place he likes. Uh, Corey's been playing super well. Nick Taylor has won this year. So, you know, he, he can't count him out, even though he's a first-timer. Uh, and out of all the guys, Mike Weir probably has the most momentum going into Augusta National. Besides the Canadians, what would you say is the biggest storyline heading into this year's Masters? I think the most underreported storyline is Rory McIlroy. Yeah. The Grand Slam. I mean, uh, you, you're going to have people on this podcast, and you're going to read a lot this week, as are so many others. 
you know, about Bryson. And I think yeah. Bryson's going to be the, the overarching number one storyline and, and with reason. I mean, he said he was going to do something to his body uh, and he did it. He said he was going to uh, take advantage of the science that is uh, in front of him with respect to golf club technology and he's done it you know tigers defending you know can one of these guys break through to win their first major like xander shoffley uh can one of these guys bust out of the one major club like justin johnson or or justin thomas or dustin johnson that's a big mouthful (laughs) yep um you know can those guys do that but to me the storyline of the week is is rory McIlroy. can he win the grand slam and can he as a new father as somebody who is now at the end of a year versus a beginning and there's all this hype around the Rory train and can he get the year started and win all these majors and blah, 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 blah. No, it's just the end of the year. He's going to play this event. He's going to be a dad. Uh, He's going to rip off for the next three and a half months to do whatever and be a father. And I don't think that it's getting enough of the, uh, the spotlight that it should, um, you know, with respect to the historical nature of somebody winning the grand slam. But I think that's actually going to be a benefit for Rory McIlroy. And, and because it's flying a little bit under the radar and because, you know, there are so many other things going on this year to me, number one storyline has to be Rory chasing the grand slam. But I think that it's not number one on most people's agenda. Mm-hmm. And for Rory himself, I think that's good news. No, I appreciate that. Of course, Rory's the the defending Canadian Open champion. Of course, we didn't have a Canadian Open this year because of the pandemic. And I also think too, Adam, I mean, Rory had that collapse in 2011. I think, you know, that would also be a nice story to to avenge that and and to to certainly win the career grand slam to to be in such a rare company. You know, we we talked about that email list. I mean, that's that's real rare company of of those uh, in the career grand slam. I'm gonna play a little, do a little rapid fire with you now, Adam. I've done this with some of my some of my guests uh, this week on the podcast. So, if, if you're if, if you're uh, running the champions dinner, what would be on the menu for you? Oh my gosh, we gotta go. We gotta go mostly Canadian stuff, though. I think. Yeah, of course. Go, oh, I think I don't know. Jesus, uh, you, you are putting me on the spot. With this. <laughs> We're gonna serve some nice Canadian wine. We're gonna serve yep. something from Kelowna. And something from Niagara, so yep. kind of got the two the two coasts. Um, you know, appetizers will maybe go something with, with scallops, maybe from uh, from the east coast. Uh, main course, Alberta beef, uh, and then dessert, um, maybe like a, a cheesecake with some mm. Ontario fruit or something like that. I think if I gotta say something quick, uh, we gotta go Canadian, but we gotta go uh, somewhat traditional as well. So that would be my pick. Maybe some heartbreak pizza from Ottawa, Adam. I, I, I know, I, I know you're a fan of that place. Um, heartbreak pizza, shout out to them. They might get, uh, might, might be serving the appetizer here, whether it's on the patio there. And uh, I know you mentioned the sandwiches, but you know, when you're at Augusta, what's your favorite food? What's your go-to food choice? Georgia peach ice cream sandwich for uh, for a dollar fifty. Uh, two two cookies. And a healthy scoop of Georgia peach ice cream. Can't beat it. And, I mean, if Bryson ends up winning Augusta the Masters and he has that 48, 48-inch driver in the bag, are you, are you going to add that to your uh, club selection next year? Yeah, I, anything that could help me uh, get a few extra yards, maybe we'll have to see. But, uh, I mean, Brooke Henderson already swings a 48-inch driver. It seems to work pretty well for her. For even sure. She chokes down on it. So, uh 
may have to send her a message and see uh, <laughs> see what I can do with the 48-inch <laughs> big stick and uh, and see what happens next year. But I'm already pretty inaccurate off the tee, so I don't think <laughs> I need anything to like spray it that much further. It might be a real disaster. And last question for you, Adam, because I know that you you were at the Masters covering it twice, and and, and you had the opportunity to play and, and you know get lucky on that media draw, which happens the Monday after the Masters concludes. So maybe just tell the listeners what that experience was like, getting the chance to play uh, Augusta National. Yeah, I mean, some of your other guests maybe this week have done the same thing, but for me, I mean, it was it was it's the pinnacle right like you you ask 99% of the golfers out there who haven't been able to play and what's on your bucket list and it's Augusta National and it could be you know for nostalgic reasons it could be because they're architecture geeks could be for any number of reasons but you know I had the opportunity to do that I'll say you know two two things that really stand out for me about that day is that you really were treated like a member for the day um you know, they, they had the caddy, they had uh, used the champion's locker room. So my locker was just, you know, the, the rough or the, the second cut. I mean, fans had been walking, patrons had been walking along that all week long, but you get on the fairways and you just think like, geez, th- these are like painted on. <laughs> and here we are four years later and I could... I can't do this with almost any other golf course, any other golf round I've played. But if, if you and I were sitting around and we were having three, and you know, it's just so like filed and saved away in my brain because it was so special. Uh, and you know, you think about playing that golf course, it was everything you could imagine it to be and more. I, I, I have one funny story that yeah. I can maybe regale you with now, but. You know, I play the golf course, you know, I play it on Monday. Monday night's rolling around. My flight's out on Tuesday morning. Um, you know, all my friends, et cetera, et cetera, they're like, oh, man, you can you can die a happy man now. You can, every, oh, yeah, just everything's fine. You can die a happy man. So I get on this flight from Philadelphia back to uh, Ottawa, and the pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will be having no food and beverage service today as we will be experiencing, quote, rough chop at all altitudes during the duration of the flight. I'm thinking to myself, well, guys, I don't want to die like now. Like, yeah. Tell my story. Like, at least give me one extra day from uh, from getting to play the golf course. Now, of course, here I am. All, all is fine. But it just was kind of a, a, a funny way to put a bow on, on my week, my experience. It was my first time going there. You know, everyone saying, hey, you can die a happy man now. And uh, rough chop at all altitudes altitudes wasn't uh, wasn't great but the experience was awesome and i i just i loved every second of it what was your best and worst hole score wise uh best hole was number 12 made a birdie wow. on that hole uh i was between a pitching wedge and a nine i had a pitching wedge in my hand caddy says the, the wind swirls you can't see it hit nine hit nine to about 25 feet and rolled in a curling left to right uh, breaker for a birdie uh, worst hole was the first one because I couldn't believe that I was playing <laughs> Augusta National. I think I made triple. Um, I made a couple of doubles in there as well just uh, as the day kind of went on. Uh, but I, I made four pars in a row on uh, 13 through 17, uh, or 14 through 17, excuse me, uh, and then shot 89 to, to wrap up the day. So it was, uh, it was a heck of an experience. 
Adam Stanley is a Canadian golf journalist. He'll be providing coverage of the Masters on Sportsnet, so make sure to check him out there. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to join me this week and enjoy the Masters on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Thanks, Lucas. That was fun, man.